0: Good morning. Welcome to Allie and Passero with our friend James Ball. We're here in our bunker, and Jimmy's back from sabbatical. Welcome back, Jim. Yes, I. I Welcome needed, back, Jim. <laughs> I needed a sabbatical. <laughs> it's good no to no see question. you. Are thank you thank back you. in your house? Uh, well,
1: yes and no, but it's uh, you know, okay. it's yeah, it's 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 been I've what 30 nights in a hotel out of 60 so whoa. wow wow whoa, i feel like all i do is walk around
0: and carry a bag well that was like me when i was working yeah. for Pixelworks. Yeah. When
2: i was at uh <laughs> fort gordon for training um oh, yeah. i they were out of on-base housing they had run out they had too many mm-hmm. people and so they put me up in a hotel i lived in a hotel for three months yeah. outside wow. of fort where's, gordon where's fort gordon uh it's, it's georgia a, it's a um,
0: secret fort no, it's it's Augusta. It's is in it, Augusta. Is it named after a Confederate general? Probably. I, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's in
2: Augusta, Georgia. Yeah. So they <laughs> yeah, we to, drove past the. the did you the,
0: go past the golf course.
2: Yeah, it's big, giant hedges. You can't oh, you, you can't, can't see in unless you're. You special. didn't sneak
0: in or fly no. a helicopter in and land. And yeah. The, no, they don't. No. No. <laughs> well, another uneventful week here in Oregon and and in the national news. Probably the biggest thing is the continuing counting of electoral votes. The electoral college meant Biden came out and made some comments about that. Uh, guys, is it over? Are, yes. Are we done? It's well. Well, it's it's. I think it's been
2: over. Um, I think that. I mean, this is this is my personal view. Is that is that it's been over? The election happened. This is this is the end. Um, I think you and I have talked on this podcast before of. You know, let let the judicial system work it, work it out. You know, there's lawsuits, there's there's allegations. Let it figure itself out. And then the electoral college or the electors voted uh, this week. And that's it. Well, Done. the Senate leadership spoke to afterwards. I mean, both Mitch McConnell and John
1: Thune spoke and said and congratulated the president elect. And John Thune said, it's time to move on. But one of the most interesting things about because the the protest is is sort of half real and half fake and and so you look at six elections in my lifetime where the winners uh john f kennedy richard nixon in 68 jimmy carter in 76 george w in 2000 and george w in 2004 and donald trump in 2016 all got less electoral votes than joe biden and and Yet this is the one, this is the uh, sixty, I think historians agree, was partially stolen, but yeah. none of the other five. and uh this is the one, though, that people really um on the Republican party side are so upset. and I think that's such a complicated equation about why they're so upset. I mean, part of it is that they, as Alan always said, they impeached him, you know, and they, <laughs> they treated him so poorly and denied you know denied, uh, really hampered the president's presidency. The Trump
2: hatred is very, very strong. And so it, it sort of, from a conspiracy theory standpoint, kind of makes sense that the hatred of being so, so palpable that people would go to extraordinary lengths to make sure Trump doesn't have a second, second, right.
1: And, and, uh, but, but when we're, when we step back and look at it a little bit more dispassionately in this election, I mean, one of the things that we see, and we were warned about it and the president was warned about it. Kevin McCarthy went to him. For four hours back in late September and pleaded with him not to be so negative about absentee voting because we were in a pandemic and the older people were going to vote absentee mm. and that the president was scaring them away from because they, you know, don't vote absentee. And yet they didn't want to go out and vote on Election Day. Right. And, and so, you know, the president was warned about that. And, of course, typically the president has such good instincts about things that are coming that are going to be trouble that he you know really showed the good and the bad of the of the president's mind on the one hand he knew this was going to be trouble that we were going to get outplayed outworked outgamed all of those things which we did right. and and at the same time his reaction to it was just to tell people don't do absentee ball-
2: balloting and to say that the election was going to be stolen and now it's affecting the Georgia runoff cases right. where they're kind of going with that same thing of the ele- the same narrative of the election a fraud don't vote don't and vote. Democrats do elections Demo- Democrats
0: are gonna vote and Republicans are potentially not in as high a number well, which- I think I, I think the thing is and we've said this before, it was a very unusual election. Election yep. laws were changed yep. in many different states. They did things that they've never done before. Yep. Not in Oregon. Yep. We, we've been doing this for a long time. I have high confidence that we do it better than anybody else does. But in Pennsylvania, for example, uh, ballots were sent out and they left. They, they were trying to decide whether they would accept them up until election night or if they'd leave it open, if it was postmarked, right? right? They said they'd set those ballots aside. Yep, They didn't set them aside, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a legitimate beef and that should be litigated and people should talk right. about it. But, But the thing that the Democrats realize is- you're not going to overturn the election for the the, the process, especially in the judicial system no. with a lot of appointees from Democratic governors, is not going to overturn something like that. So that was the big problem is that we, we did this. And if you look at the vote counts in these states, I, I pulled it up of how Trump election night is ahead by three right. or four hundred thousand votes. And it. Every day it just goes down and goes down and goes down and goes down and goes down, and goes down until there's just a, a less than a percent difference. Oh. Well, yeah, um, but that just is Arizona. Very... Let me, let me okay. finish. Arizona, um, 10,000 vote margin. Georgia, 11,000 vote margin. When Chris Dudley lost to John Kitzhaber in the closest election we've had mm-hmm. in a long time, it was 20,000 votes. Here in Oregon, that's, those are states that if you combine the population, it's about one, two, three, four, almost five times the size of Oregon, and it's the same number of votes. And so the narrative, I don't, I don't want to completely wipe this thing away or anything else, but this was a very close election in incredibly, incredibly stressed and novel circumstances. And the media and I, I understand they have to run the Democratic media. They just wash it away. They yeah. just say it's the largest electoral victory. And I think you said earlier today, Trump got the second most votes anybody has ever received for president of the United States.
2: Right. Oh, he right? drove.
0: He drove turnout in both directions. Right. No, yeah. I, absolutely. Um, but so you- but <clears throat> that's why I think the process was a good process. It puts all of these elections as we move forward are going to be under more scrutiny the way that they're conducted is going to be under more scrutiny i think that part of the process worked but the process has yielded Uh, an outcome do you want to
2: well i was going to say i think the other thing it's important to remember is that a biden presidency is not going to ruin the country just like a trump presidency did not ruin the country hey we're all still here Nothing changed all that much a it's little bit.
0: Way better.
2: <laughs> uh, I think I think that
0: thing that's
1: this, that mostly the same. I think the thing that though that I'm I'm, I'm gonna take a little different take than Alan. Okay,
0: on. Well, let's come back and get your take at the after the break. Jimmy, will come back. We'll talk more about the election. This is Allie and Sarah with her friend James Ball.
2: Today's podcast is brought to you by Prolift Garage doors. Prolift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors, from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service and all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at ProLiftDoors.com Portland. Again, that's 503-558-6349 or
0: ProLiftDoors.com Portland. Welcome back. This is Ali and Passera with James Ball. We're talking about the election. The question is: Is it over, Jimmy? Well, uh, that may be your question. Um, uh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Jim, not going to answer I'm a not, different question. I'm not, I'm not biting <laughs> on your on answer. <laughs> that line. Your answer is yes. I, I'm not biting on that line. Um, You're not biting on that line. No, <laughs> not. <laughs> that so, was cute.
1: So, um, you know, Alan, you've been had said for the last month that we should, um, you know, really. Kind of go through this process. And I think to a certain extent, I, I guess I agree with that. But I don't think, I mean, you can't say the whole thing was a good process because I think the president's behavior in the last month has not been helpful to uh, future democratic elections. Uh, we have to, in our democracy, be able to concede a, an election and have a winner and a loser. But mo- most importantly, the president has brought so many people into politics and he has created this huge populist movement and to just play sore loser role instead of what, what is he going to do with this populist movement? There are so many, especially working people who are waiting to hear from the president who, who voted for the first time. I know lots of people who they own first time in their life, they didn't vote anything else in the ballot. They vote for Trump and they brought into the process and they're waiting for his direction on how to go forward. Do they go forward constructively? Do they, do they, do they, do they, cite? I know, I know one person, he's like, do I, do I really have to learn about the other measures and vote other parts of the ballot? And, and I'm like, well, yeah, you do. Right. And so, or you should. You shouldn't. And so it's like, it's, you know, the president could run again. He could have his own TV network. He could be, you know, part kingmaker of the future Republican party. But most importantly, this populist movement, this transformation of the Democrat, of the Republican party from the country clubbers to the working class party and that combinant and that, and that sort of weird mix of the two, you know, where is this going? And, you know, the president who's, who's, who's not intellectual, but is extremely uh, incisive in, in sort of gut instincts, um, is, you know, they need to hear from him. You know, maybe the college swells don't. You know, maybe, maybe you and I want to run off with uh, Christy Nome or Nikki Haley or, 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 or Marco Rubio or some other future leader of the party, but they need to hear from him and they need to know if they, if that they should continue to. To participate in the process, and the first calling card on that is January fifth in Georgia. And now he, uh, that performance that he did two weeks ago was really just mind, you know, blue.
0: So, how he we behaved. Well, I think I
1: think
2: your assumption is that Donald Trump cares about something other than Donald Trump, and I'm not sure that's a good assumption. I th- you think he cares about the party? I don't think he cares about the party. I don't think he cares about the working class. I don't think he cares about the future of the country. I think Donald Trump cares about Donald Trump. And
0: he, he's going to play sore loser because that's who he is as a human. So I think one observation that I have is populist movements. And this might be wrong because it's from an engineer's point of view. Populist movements are generally about fighting for something. That, mm-hmm. that you've been oppressed. Right. You've been screwed. I'm going to fight for you. Mm-hmm. You're going to fight with me. And mm-hmm. we're going to beat those guys. Right. Right. And it seems that populist movements die out when there's nothing to fight for. When the, when the battle is won or you're vanquished or the leader is decapitated or <laughs> – is
1: that – Well, okay, the problem with what you're saying though is that th- – that is true. But in this case, this is just like – this is more like a, 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 a theater, a, a play in that the first – Donald Trump was the first act. And, you know, that he invented the populist movement and they're engaged. And now act two is, you know, the restoration of the people who create, you know, whose who's arrogance created Donald Trump's populist movement. So in the next four years, I mean, especially looking at Biden's cabinet, Now, you know, now granted, there's some pitches that, that Biden has done well. I thought, I think he, I think he handled Donald Trump in the last month very well, but basically, the cabinet is just about the restoration of the Obama years and the and bringing the people bringing back all the the bureau the technocrats right the elite technocrats
0: so they aren't going I mean the, the populist voice is going to get louder well yeah. I I don't think one I don't think Trump sees it that way and two I think Trump needs to be at the center of the movement he's not going to hand it off to somebody else I, and think about this he was the birther guy. Right. right. Yeah, and and a very small percentage of the people really thought that that was a wonderful idea. Politically, thought <laughs> well, that that was a wonderful idea, but uh, but more more than it, we want to admit. But he used it as a tool to to, to build his populist following. Yeah, yeah, he
1: did, and uh, kind of shame on him for doing that, but it worked. Um, but the the. I don't quite agree with you. I no. I think the populist movement and the direction of the Republican Party, and we want to hear from James on this, is completely up in the air. And I and 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 my friend Dan Mason of the Washington County Republicans brought Scott Walker in to speak uh, two years ago, and this year brought Christy Noem. I think both of them. I remember having a conversation with Scott Rock- Walker after he spoke, and I said, I said, after Donald Trump loses, uh, and this was in uh, November of two thousand. 18. I said, after, after Donald Trump loses or 19, I guess it was 19.
2: Back in the before times, right. before COVID. Before
1: the election. Before right. Can, before COVID. I <laughs> said, after Donald Trump loses, we, you, Scott, can step in. Jim Becerro, Kingmaker, national Kingmaker. You, Scott, <laughs> can step in and you can rebuild this populist movement. Only do it with a, a certain amount of intelligence and instead of just emotion and anger. And so. I think there are a lot of Marco Rubio, there are a lot of Ted Cruz, there are a lot of people ready to try to um, try to take this movement forward. We see that in how timid they were in, in calling Joe Biden president-elect because they don't want to piss off the base. However, Donald Trump can still be around to do that himself if he could ever quit sulking.
2: I, th- I think – Donald Trump would have to do it. I don't think anybody else can. And Why? so, I mean, no, I, it, be, because this this has become such a cult of personality. This oh. has been a and I, I know I know use the C word, but like people are following this, like you said, because of Trump. They're not following this because they believe in the Republican Party. They're not doing it because they believe in, in what he stands for. They believe in Trump.
1: Christy Nome came here into an illegal event in late September with 225 people. And just lit up the room with a populist message. I mean,
0: people walked yeah, out. Yeah, but who, of who, who was went to there? That? Am, am I right? Yeah, but that who wasn't went to that the Trump audience? No, it that wasn't. wasn't. That, that wasn't, was that was us. No, was, the ones that was that was elite that, country club Republicans. The ones that could carry this forward, if he wanted to hand mm-hmm. the scepter to somebody, is Donald Jr. or oh. Ivanka. Oh yeah. no. That's basically no, it. But I
2: mean, yeah, no, it's it's the Trump name. It's they're following him as the leader. They're not following the movement.
1: Well, what he's gonna do though is he's going to pout so much that he's going to make it impossible for his family to, to go forward because he's gonna right, he, right now so, he's busy. Well, to, he's bu- so if
0: there was a Republican primary mm-hmm. today and Donald Sr. Mm-hmm. was running, would he win? One hundred percent. Yeah, that's what I think.
1: Yeah. But that's but it's but there but there isn't a Republican primary today. Oh, okay. And he's but, hurt himself He's hurt himself, maybe on the margins, but he has hurt himself in the Republican Party since election.
0: But day. he's talking. He's he's hurt us
1: himself you're going, you're among going in the among institutionalists. Yeah, they're still part a, of the party.
0: We got to take a break. <laughs> we'll come back and talk about whether the institutionalists are in fact part of the party. This is Allie and Pacero with James Ball. The Portland Spirit is
2: headed to the river. Hop on board today for great views of the Portland skyline and historic Milwaukee waterfront. See our local landmarks and bridges from a unique vantage point on the river. Grab a cocktail on our outer deck while enjoying some of our delicious local cuisine. Fun for the whole family with options including lunch, brunch, dinner, and the famous Heart
0: of Portland cruise. Tickets can be purchased at portlandspirit.com. Welcome back to Ali and Passero with James Ball. And we're talking about institutionalists and whether they're part of the Republican Party. And... I, I think you're absolutely right. You saw them initially sort of go, oh, okay, we'll go through this process. Mm-hmm. I, I wish you would just say yeah. you lost because <laughs> <laughs> that would make life easier. <laughs> but you can't say that. So, okay. So, and then as it would go by and then finally the Electoral College met and there were all these challenges, 53 challenges or whatever. And mm-hmm. and uh, Rudy Giuliani with his drunk witness in, in Michigan <laughs> – I guess she, somebody I missed said that. she was I didn't a watch stripper. That. Did you see that? I didn't watch it, um, no. Oh, that was priceless. Uh, but anyway, I heard. I heard from- so now we're down to the institutionalists that uh, there has been sort of when Romney got mm-hmm. together and they mm-hmm. came up with this COVID relief bill and now McConnell has picked it up and they're right. moving this through the con- – right? Right. They're kind of now showing, okay. The transition to power, of power. Right. Yeah.
1: And, and I wouldn't say I – mean, institutionalists, is, I would define it differently. I would say that half the party is the college swells and that – and we're, we're, we're the co- – all the, the party used yeah. to be basically the college swells and Main Street. But now the party is – the college swells, that's the three of us mm-hmm. and then the populist working class who have come into the party and I really think that is 50-50. I mean Donald Trump only – I mean he – it was a long time before he got to 40% in the primaries in 2016 yeah. the college swells just weren't organized they because they were divided between jeff well and they kept going. marco well, and up, that, dead. that right. one's dead it, yeah, that Christy. one's dead dead <laughs> exactly and so so the, the the problem is that the college swells went along with the trump thing and, but the working people that came in were the ones that were so passionate. Yes. So they drove the bus and they may still be driving the bus. But that I mean, that is a big who get who's going to get to drive the bus. And this goes back to the conversation I had with Scott Walker in 2019, which was like, hey, look, the po- we want the populace. We, we want that energy. We want them in the party. But maybe there's a way to do this in a in a in a in a less divisive way than donald trump's
2: four-year experience as president has been trump needs to step down like you said he needs to either concede or just or hand the mantle off or do something i don't think you're going to lose uh the passion and this is just a common i was no, no i don't think so because like nothing ever like to, to alan's point you're saying that populism tends to die when there's no leader when there's no thing to fight that was before the internet Nothing ever dies on the internet. You're going to have these little insular communities that just go around in circles being angrier and angrier and more passionate and more passionate. And if they don't have a leader, they're just going to be angry okay, and so it's I, I,
0: spinning. I'll even take it one step further. If you put a stiff like Scott Walker up there and said, I'm your populist leader, right. they're going to go to Bernie. Okay. They're yeah. they're, they're going to. They're closer to Bernie than they are to Scott Walker. Well, what about Christine o I like Christy Gnome no. and I'd love to think <laughs> that she
1: could do this, right? Well, she came, she went from on faith, from, she went from nobody to uh, a national figure over the summer, right? So, I mean, she went to, she's well, gone to phase one. I'll,
0: I'll, I'll, it would be interesting how many of you, well, just put the question out there, how many of you have actually seen or heard of Christy Gnome to the people that are watching us today? Because I think, In our chattering class, yes, she's a big deal. Okay, what about Ted Cruz? He's not a populist leader. He's, he's Ted Cruz is the guy in high school that you <laughs> wanted to punch in the face. Really? Do you? <laughs> Yes, absolutely. He's the he's the know it all. Sit in the front, second in the class, never quite first, but he's really <laughs> smart. <laughs> and you just wanted to punch him in the face. Um,
1: oh
2: my gosh! No, <laughs> what, what a, you're
0: you not.
1: That, you're you you not you wrong. Feel, do you feel that way about? Right. Ted
0: Cruz? I, I, he's,
2: yeah, I, I think you're probably right. I, uh, Nick Perlowski, you know my my co-host from the Rational Republican, has said a couple of times that he thinks. Ted Cruz is the the smartest guy on the hill. Right. It wouldn't surprise me. But, yeah, I don't know that he's got the energy to lead a populist movement that Trump does. No. Okay, so.
0: No, he's, no.
2: (laughs) He's he's a a very smart, nerdy, political guy. What about uh, Marco Rubio?
0: Well, it's this whole thing of where it's connecting what words are coming out of your mouth, Mm -hmm. what's up here, with what's in your heart. And you think with, he's a phony. And with huh? Ted Cruz, I, I don't think there's any heart. I think it's all manufactured up here. You think I f- I don't think so you're there's calling any genuine. F- oh, you're calling genuine, him a phony. Yes, there's yeah. no genuine well, compassion. There are moments though. With Christy Nome. I felt that there was, yeah. right? Well, and 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 so there's a there's a chance there. Okay, So one of Go the
1: ahead. one of the I, interesting things about Christy Nome is that When the Republican Party was at its most dominant – now, we've had eight general elections at the last eight. We've won the popular vote one time out of the last eight, which was 2004. But if you go back to the 80s when the Republican Party was so dominant in America, it was when – it was a libertarian. It wasn't a – and you obviously agree with this. It wasn't a southern-driven social conservative party. It was a libertarian, economically-driven party. And that's when the West was so pro Ronald Reagan, so pro Republican. What was interesting about Christy Nome uh, versus Scott Walker? So Scott Walker comes to the Embassy Suites uh, in 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 Beaverton. Uh, in 2019, and he gives a very social conservative religious base. Yes, speech, he did. You know, yeah. And, and his dad was a pastor or yep. something, and yeah, you know, and yeah. Wah. <laughs> Wah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I liked it. I liked it as 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 a Roman Catholic. As I guess I used to be a Roman Catholic until the pandemic, but um, but I liked the speech. But when Christy Nome came. In September of 2020, she gave a rancher libertarian yes, midwestern much. speech, very, very different much. in, in philosophy from Scott Walker. And it's like, and, and that's what made it in, besides the fact that she's, uh, impressive, yes. you know, uh, that's you, you kind of got some Margaret
0: Thatcher feeling about her. Yes. Yeah. A- and, and it was like, Sarah Palin with substance or something, Mm -hmm. right? Well, we hoped that Sarah Palin was going to be. Well, and in the first speech, I remember when Sarah Palin gave her nominating speech, my young daughter walked into the room and said, who is that? Yeah. And I said, well, that's Sarah Palin. She goes, who's Sarah Palin? Yeah. So she's the vice presidential nominee for the Republican party. She's like, she is not. That's that you Republicans would never do something like that. But that was, <laughs> that was the case. But she was very impressive. Well, Ted Cruz, back to him for a second. When he was taking on the,
1: the Facebook and the uh, Google and all those right. guys a month ago, uh, especially when they were banning political content, yeah, he was very impressive
0: then, wasn't he? I mean, didn't he? Yeah, did he's he- technically impressive. Okay, technically, yes, he is. He he's technically impressive, mm-hmm. but he's so. Well, he almost lost to what's his name, uh, the- Beto O'Rourke, right? About five, six. Points. A populist, yeah, right, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's not. I I don't see Ted Cruz as the populist, and Marco Rubio. Okay, I Marco mean, Rubio. No, why? He's got got better energy than
2: Cruz does, but
0: Marco Rubio was the two hand sipper guy (laughs) when he gave the speech, right?
2: No. Okay. No,
0: dude. Well, put the water away. But okay, but you can do it on a podcast. You can't do it on a hey, uh, we gotta come back. Right. (laughs) This is Allie and Pizarro with our friend James Ball. Welcome back to Ali and Pacero with James Ball, and we're still talking about the election, <laughs> and we're ge- we're getting hour. we're closer to the inauguration than we are to the we election. Haven't, we haven't talked about
1: the cabinet, uh, the the, the president elect's <laughs> cabinets, but and, and and we want to go to James Ball, but. Yeah. Uh, to tie that segment in for just a second, we're measuring these potential leaders of a populist movement for to, to our listeners, and we're talking about the, is what the important movement that Donald Trump created brought into the Republican Party. Uh, how is that going to go forward? And when we're putting these candidates up and saying, can Christy Noem be this, and could, could Scott Walker be it, could Ted Cruz be it? We're comparing. It's not quite fair. I mean, when Donald Trump created this movement, he was seventy. So. In 78, eight, you know, four years from now, he'll be 78. And if he plays the sore loser, so he'll be the same age as Biden. Right. And how, how impressive. and Biden, who gave actually a pretty good speech until he coughed through it on Monday. Um You know, so a 78 year old Donald Trump might not be quite as formidable a figure as a 70 year old and a person that we would draw from an historical analogy would be ross perot who was much more impressive in 92 he ran twice that's right that's and, true than he was in 96 so maybe the bar won't be quite you know you're putting a very high bar for what these people have
2: to accomplish Well, you're
0: gonna have to get through don jr and or ivanka don jr is kind of a joke
2: uh, ivanka might be I, more real i, I ivanka is pretty i would I would, right? I would i would put ivanka
1: up there you know? yeah i've been i'm well, just finishing uh sarah huckabee's book and she writes a lot about ivanka the oh book. what is
0: she saying about well, Ivanka. Well, there's
1: not much about Don Jr. in there. There's it's yeah. much more that oh, Ivanka is uh Ivanka sees a lot of the playing field and she's very, you know, Ivanka knew to to sort of be real thoughtful and you know kind of kind of played like I guess in some ways Ivanka played the good cop wife that M- Melania wasn't capable of playing yeah. in the administration. She was the one who wrote people nice notes and stuff and mm. made them all feel like oh. they were part of the Trump circle, yeah. you
2: know. Mm. Well my, my question for you guys is what does what do you think the populist movement wants? Now you mentioned, you know, that they need a cause, they need something to fight against. And so far and, and again from my I guess elitist standpoint, it's always been you're a college, it's been, you're a college I swell. I know I'm a college swell my but uh, standpoint. Uh, has always been just to own the libs and to win. Like, but what are we winning? And you know, I know, obviously, the the Democratic Party has abandoned the working class. They have gone to this identity politics thing, where if you're not some flavor of oppressed, you you don't matter. And so right. this, these poor white folks in the middle, in the Midwest, particularly, totally abandoned by the Democratic Party, and they're looking for place to, to come and be angry and, and be passionate. Um, <laughs>
1: that, was <a> <laughs> Sorry, that was, that was <laughs> a thrill, like, college swell <laughs> that
2: was, thing that to that say. You're right, you're right. You're right. You're yeah. right. That, that was pretty bad. So, but so what, what do they want? Yeah. What, so what causes this, this interesting. movement? To, when
0: I was in the governor's office, I, Sometimes I acted as a go-between between the Republicans and the Democrats in negotiations because I was sort of Switzerland, so to speak. And the Democrats always wanted more of everything, right? They, wanted, they just wanted more money. They wanted more stuff. They wanted more programs. And they'd turn to me and say, okay, we want this. What do you want? Mm-hmm. And the answer was, we just want less. Mm-hmm. We don't want more of anything. We just want less. Is that what the populist movement wants though? I think though? so. You want less this this independent uh voice. You want less government, you want less intrusion, you want less taxes, I, you want less interference. You you just want I, less. I think that's I think that's what yeah, I think, I that's, I what, I yeah, I think that.
2: that's what we want. Yeah. I'm not sure that's what the populist well, movement Well, I also
1: think that I think where, where Trump was really good on this was it, you know a generation ago when ronald reagan was in, in in office i mean there were serious think tanks that that pushed ideas 30 members of the hoover administration went into the reagan uh administration the heritage foundation and others and they were pushing ideas like the flat tax so reagan took over in an 80 and in 86 they did tax reform it was pretty close to a flat tax now got so gotten yeah. all convoluted since okay the point i'm going to make yeah. the point i'm going to make is what the baby boomers managed to do was take the tax code and just rig almost all of it to transfer money to them through the home mortgage deduction or through working for a large company and getting a healthcare insurance deduction all of these things and i and you may be working class and you may not you know you might not be able to point to these programs and say these are the programs that are transferring money from a renter to a homeowner and on and on and on but you a leader comes along and says hey you know, you haven't had a raise in fifteen years, and there's no border, and and all this stuff, and these college guys have it all—the all, system all rigged for them. And you go, you know, yeah, that's what I feel. Why am I not getting ahead? Right. And and that, so to me, that's what I, I think—a fairer, a more balanced system that wasn't rigged by the lobbyist.
0: Interesting. Yeah, and I think that's—I think that's true. I think people, Democrats and Republicans. Look at this current system and say this isn't working for me. Right, it's working for that guy. Yes, it's working for a big bank. It's working for Wall Street. It's working for those technocrats. It's working for Facebook.
1: It's working for somebody who has two rich homes and two home mortgage deductions. Right,
0: but it but it isn't working for me. So I want. It's it's a little bit like the French Revolution, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, very much. And it's it's like this populist group is saying, "Look, America used to work for me." Right. I I was the heart of America. I was America. You didn't need a college degree to own a home. No. You know, 35 years ago.
2: No. So and what's the what's the solution? I mean, apart from the the personality and going out and and appealing people's emotions, is this something that well, that I, we
0: I think college snobs can take who, advantage of. Who do I really believe speaks for me? Right. And Donald Trump, billionaire, amazingly enough, was the guy that spoke for them in very plain terms. He wears the trucker hat, which believe me, <laughs> that dro- drove me crazy. Right. I uh-huh. thought that was, that was, that was completely inappropriate for the president. But you know what? It works. Right. It's like, I'm putting on the hat that you guys wear. I, I speak for you. And he, he speaks his, even his vocabulary, right? right is, is, a vocabulary of somebody that did not go to college and certainly didn't graduate from Wharton, right? right? right. And that's one of the problems, <laughs> frankly, that I've always had because I I speak like a technocrat. I right. speak like an engineer, yeah. right? And I realized that as I as I talked to enough people, people would say, when I worked in the governor's office, people would say, Alan, sometimes you say things and nobody understands what you say. Well, because it's from a perspective that, that they well, don't have. Well, look at our area. Okay. So, I mean,
1: you have in our area, you have not only a home mortgage deduction, you have an urban growth boundary. So all of a oh. sudden, these, these homes, like a home that would just be considered, uh, just a mid-level kind of nothing home in Nashville, Tennessee, worth about two hundred thousand dollars is worth six hundred thousand dollars here. And so, who can afford it? But two government bureaucrats working for the city, both making a right. hundred and ten thousand right. In, benef- in salary right. and benefits, can afford this six hundred thousand
0: dollar home. Whereas nobody out, el- nobody work, nobody, the plumber can't afford it, and the electrician can't afford it. This is how warped. It is because you just gave an example, like I've given mm-hmm. examples, where it's a six hundred thousand dollar home here and a hundred and twenty thousand dollar home someplace else. Yeah. You know what it is in Florida? It's a sixty thousand yeah. dollar home. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's one tenth. Yes. The price. I was looking at apartments in Ohio.
1: Yes. Said, a, nice apartments in Ohio run from five hundred to eight hundred yes. dollars. Yes. You know.
0: No. And uh, if we, you're if you're a tradesperson making forty five thousand dollars a year. You my can live. F- my friends in Michigan, I posted stuff about housing prices. And my friends in Michigan are like, you are completely out of whack. Out of whack. You know, a $120,000 house here is a really nice house. Yes. You know, and and we've completely lost perspective. Now, if you look at the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, you, you posted this on Facebook, didn't mind, you? Yeah. Right? A 725 square foot Cottage, nice cottage, mm. beautiful little cottage. Yep. Two bed, one, bath. One, yeah. bed, one, one bath. bath. one bed, one bath. One bed, one bath. One bed, one bath in Palo Alto was two freaking million, million dollars. dollars. Yeah. Yeah. For seven hundred square feet. Yeah. The only one that can afford that is double income Facebook. Right. <laughs> right. Double yeah. income Facebook. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Up average,
1: here. Average salary $250. $250,
0: yeah. right? Yeah. And they and they take out a one in a one point eight million dollar mortgage and put two hundred thousand down because they cashed out some stock options. Yeah. yeah. Right? No, it's it's completely it's completely warped and inaccessible.
1: I'm no, I'm I'm looking to buy right now and I and I and I, I just can't believe the prices.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's like well that's the end of that segment i think we've resolved the election <laughs> we're going to come back we've got some other things we've got covid and some local things this is ali and sarah with james ball welcome back to ali and sarah with james ball we're moving from the from one catastrophe to another from the election <laughs> to covid <laughs> so jimmy where are we with covid
1: well, that's, I mean, I, I haven't been here for a few weeks and I've been b- dying to talk to you about it because while I've been gone. Is that a pun?
0: No, no. You've been dying to talk <laughs> no, no, to no, us no, about okay. it. I've been really eager because to Because talk- we think you are the alpha patient here in Oregon. That's right. We do. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really do. February
1: 4th in the car <laughs> that, with you. That was exactly yeah, the COVID it. Cough, yeah. That was
0: exactly it. <laughs> um,
1: I, what, yeah, the, so we've had the spike and you turn on the television and you go from, I mean, Oregon's such a perfect example. We went from like, we had a hundred cases a day or 150 cases a day for months. And now all of a sudden we have right. 1,500 cases a day. Right. And, and, and every day now you, s- you see more people die today than Pearl Harbor and tomorrow's <laughs> going to be a double Pearl Harbor day. And, and I, you know, all I could see is my, the late Mark Abrams face. And, right. And so, right. Oh, yeah. And so what, um, Are they counting this differently? I mean, because one of the statistics that somebody sent me was deaths in America, 2017, 2.5 million. Deaths in America, 2018, 2.5 million. Deaths in America, 2019, 2.5 million. Deaths in America, 2020, 2.5 million.
0: Yeah. So what's going on? So let me just add to the fire before we put it out. So George Stephanopoulos this morning, he says – the, uh, this week, COVID pandemic has tightened its deadly grip on our country. The worst week yet has passed, crossing 300,000 deaths. A new 9-11 every day. More than 1.5 million new cases. One out of every 200 Americans is contracting the virus every day. This is George Stephanopoulos. Yeah. And then he goes on to say, Oh, and we have a vaccine now. Yeah. Right? So. I track the Oregon numbers really closely, and I've got this big old nasty spreadsheet. And so several things are happening, and I can't explain it, but I'll tell you what, what we're seeing. Um, and this is specifically deaths. So we're seeing a lot of deaths now being reported where they can't determine, or they they haven't determined if there's underlying conditions. So early on, it was death underlying, death underlying, death underlying, and these are very serious underlying conditions. Um, so probably 30% now, they kind of go, I don't know, maybe maybe there were underlying conditions or not. <clears throat> the other thing that's happening is, About 30% of the deaths reported on every, any given day are more than a week old, sometimes a month old. So we see these numbers with 36 people died today. Well, no, they didn't die today. Right. They're being
2: reported today. There's like,
0: there's like 10 that died today. There's 26 that died way back in the past. So because of this weirdness and how they're reporting it, you can't Really get an accurate projection of where is the curve? Because there's a bunch of deaths that happened in the past that they're reporting has happened as today. With all that, I'd say deaths associated deaths of people that have been either assumed to have COVID or tested with COVID have gone up. There's, there's pretty much no doubt about that. Have they gone up to the level that they're representing? I don't think so. Have they changed the way they're counting? It appears that they have, but they won't tell us.
2: Well, and uh I think that it's fair to blame Kate Brown for this. You know, if if Trump gets the flack for all of the COVID for the last year, I think that Kate Brown and her uh arbitrary rules can be this is squarely her fault for the uh for the increase of the pandemic. So I think that uh, Kate Brown needs to
0: change what she's doing. So, one other piece of information, very consistently, <laughs> half of the deaths in Oregon are in congregate living. Yeah. So, so, so... Do Cut we, the deaths in half for the people that are just roaming around and it, going to start. Is the governor
1: right. right, and and not just the governor, but everybody, every governor? Is it is the governor right? We canceled Halloween, we canceled Thanksgiving, and now we're going to cancel Christmas. Is this no? We, that's what
2: Alan just said. Like the, the half of the deaths are from Congregate leave, living. Well,
1: I, I don't think he quite said that. I mean, he, no. he, he he laid out the statistics, but you didn't so you, you didn't judge it yet.
0: So it's clear that they don't know mm. how the virus is transmitted, right? And talking to my viral biologist friend and his veterinarian wife, uh, coronaviruses in animals have been around for a long time. Right, They're transmitted through feces. They're mm-hmm. not airborne. Right. They're not contact. It's feces. It's a horse poops. Another horse steps in it. It gets into the hay. They eat the hay. They get the virus. Right. Mm-hmm. So, no, I've never heard a theory in humans that we're transmitting the virus that way. But if you start to think about half of the cases are in congregate living, and in congregate living, you have people in diapers. You have poop all over the place. You have people intermixing in very close quarters where you have feces, where you don't have feces in normal. Well, I think you've got life. a much more vulnerable population living in congregate. And care you do as well. have a more yeah. vulnerable population. But the fact is, nobody is – that I have seen, I, I looked online, is doing a study of how is it transmitted. But when we're not going to Timbers games and duck games, and we're not riding in public transportation, and we're all wearing masks, 80% wearing masks here, um, and we're not going to our offices, right? And we're not visiting with our friends, and we're not going out to dinner, and we're not going bowling, and we're not going to movie theaters. We're not interacting, and it's still spreading. They don't know how it's spreading. Kate Brown's fault. It's, for not it, for not doing that. It's yeah. a complete it's a complete failure of government. And as a guy that's part of the you know the the chattering class, elite class, whatever you want to say, that's when I get mad. And I'm like, we're paying all this money, and you guys are a complete clown act when it comes to managing yeah. this pandemic. Well it's because it's and
2: I've said this on the here before, is the democratic mindset of of how government should react should act is as a parent. And so back in March, everybody thought this was, you know, the Ebola times 10. Right. And the only thing that we could think to do on such a short time frame was shut everything down. And I think at the time, with with limited knowledge, that was probably the right thing to do. Uh but when a parent says this is what you need to do to protect yourself and then find out they're wrong. A bad parent will double down on that because they can't, <laughs> yeah, it's because true. they can't admit that they were wrong. And I think this is what the, the democratic government in Oregon, at least is doing is I, they are, they're not doing tests because the tests might say that shutting down was the wrong thing and they're not looking into congregate care because that might mean that we don't actually need to shut things down, that maybe we can focus this a little bit better. And, but they, they can't admit that they're wrong and they're not doing the studies to even test that because why would they we we have a solution the solution is shutting things down listen to listen to your parent kate brown and do what she says and you'll be fine
0: we've got to come back after a break this is Allie and sarah with her friend james Ball. i think we're going to pick this up again
2: today's podcast is brought to you by prolift garage doors prolift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers springs and rollers to full reinstalls they offer same-day service and all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503-558-6349 or proliftdoors.com slash Portland.
0: Welcome back to Allie and Pacero with James Mall. <clears throat> We're talking about covid And I I think you're absolutely right. The government can't admit they're wrong um, because if you admit you're wrong, you might not get reelected. Right. And the institutions, the Department of Health, the Department of – they can't admit they're wrong what they all can admit is we've got a we've got a vaccine yeah. right we told you that we were going to do the things and and this difficult situation that y'all were in you know we're coming through it cuz now we have a vaccine and mm-hmm. and you know, God bless the American ingenuity to be able to come up with this vaccine in this period of time. And honestly, let's give credit to Operation Warp Warp Speed and the, you know, the Trump administration that enabled all this. Well, and as as our friend Mark would say, uh, Pfizer didn't get any. But the but the thing is, is that Operation Warp Speed <laughs> is exactly what a CEO should do. Yeah. You you say we're going to do everything possible. We're going to level every obstacle that you have. We're going to provide money. We're going to encourage this research and we're going to set money aside to buy these things. I've never heard what these guys are charging for the vaccine. Have you? No. Dose? No. Because the government's backing it. Yeah. Right. And it doesn't really matter what it costs, But, but you create an environment where there's a massive monetary, they're going to sell billions of these. They're going to make gazillions of dollars. So what they did is they let the the market drive the response
2: and cut a bunch of the red tape around the FDA to get it approved faster. They're, they didn't have to do ten years of trials; they only had to yeah. do well, a couple months of trials. So I've got uh, three friends of mine
1: who are you know, eighty years old who I walk in the park with in the mornings, and and one of them's a former CEO and a good a good CEO, and he. Um, you know, Alan, the thing that frustrates him is why? Do, why isn't there a schedule? You know, one of the a fourth eighty year old came up uh, and she said that uh, Kaiser called me and asked me to come in to get a vaccine. And the oh, other, really? And the other three were like, "How did that happen?" Um, so, is it possible to if you? under best management practices is it possible if you were governor to be able to, yes. to to communicate with those people and tell them when they can expect to get the vaccine how long they're going to have to to hide they're all all of them are, have canceled christmas they're not going to see right. you know their their sons and daughters and grandkids and so you know, and they're sitting there wondering. You know, can I go to Hawaii in April, or can I go to
0: spring training? Well, it's interesting because I guess uh, I, I have a uh, a friend that's a nurse, and she got notified she's getting the vaccine. She's twenty four years old. I've okay. got nurse friends who have gotten it already. Okay. Yeah. So they prioritized healthcare workers. Yes. All right. So I think you made this point earlier that um, of the. Half of the population, so 650 people that have died in congregate living centers, one person that works in a congregate living center has died. And they don't say what the circumstances of that were, how old the person was, or did they have underlying conditions or anything else. So it's interesting. I understand the politics of why you would vaccinate healthcare workers first. I The data doesn't say they are the most vulnerable. The data says congregate living is the most vulnerable. And as as an engineer CEO, what I'd say is, guys, let's roll this thing out. Who is the most vulnerable? Let's get them vaccinated first. It, it's it's well, easy to see that that's congregate living.
2: It happens. It, like you said, it's, it's the politics of it. And I think that if you did not prioritize healthcare workers, you would have a revolt by yeah. the by the nurses Association yeah you would the, the ona yeah be, because their view is we are t- we we the nurses are taking on a huge amount of risk by being in and around these covid patients all the time. I mean, I think if you didn't prioritize healthcare workers, you might see strikes, you might see walkouts. Yeah, and think, you you cannot have that. I so think I I right. I think that it's it's more political than it is about saving lives, which I wish people would just admit that. I, right. You know, it's stay home save lives. No, it's politics and save lives. Well,
0: and and, and that's and you're absolutely right. And this is my thing and a lot of this stuff is like just admit it. Just yeah. turn the cards over, face up, and say, look, we could save all these lives with with the people in congregate We are living. choosing not to. We are choosing to do the healthcare mm-hmm. workers first because, you know what, we're sending them into the battle, and if we send them into the battle with no guns- you know, they, they're they gonna, still might win. They're going to go home, <laughs> but, they're, but they're not going to do that. Right. And it's like, just tell me that. Don't, don't sneak around. That's the thing. And,
2: and that, this is again with the whole parent child relationship. Like, if you treat people like adults, you can say that. But if you, if you think that the population is children who need to be coddled and needed to be shepherded through this situation, you're not going to tell them that because they think you, you, the premise is, People can't understand that. People are going to be like, well, what? You're sacrificing lives
0: for politics? Blah! Well, and I think, looping this back to Christy uh when she spoke, it felt like she was being honest with me. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's rare that you hear a politician speak. Like Ted Cruz. I I don't get anything from Ted Cruz. Mm-hmm. When Ronald Reagan spoke, Mm -hmm. I felt like he was being honest Mm -hmm. with me and, and not only being honest, but telling me that his heart and his head were connected. Yeah. Um, You just don't see that in, in politics today and the leadership Mm -hmm. today. It's uh, so,
1: so um, I hope I'm not interrupting you. No. So, so um, the, um, a couple of things uh, on this, you know, first of all, my friends who I walk with in the park, they're like, oh great the same people that are doing the vaccine brought us cover oregon so that and then that,
0: yeah, just, right, <laughs> that just, yeah,
1: right. <laughs> and that just spreads cynicism and everybody in the park starts rolling their eyes and laughing and you know whatever and and, <laughs> yeah. and you know great crc vaccine right you know 300
0: million dollar website that never came up right
1: before. and so then so then the next thing is is there anybody you know the, these governors especially the democrats they all talk to each other is there anybody is there any state where there's actually communication or a plan? I mean, because I don't think that people would feel like um, – if you told them, look, we're going to do this group this month and this group this week and this group this week, and, and you finally – and you said to them, you know, this is just a, a, a tentative schedule. Right. It's not, a, it's right. not a, a, a fast schedule. But it seems to me that that would be better communication than no – you know, oh, I mean, all we're getting is like, hey, 30,000 got shipped and we, uh, we thought we were going to get 30 and we got, well, we got 12 and, you know, and we, we thought they right. we were going to go, but, but we're not getting, you know, we're not getting any kind
2: of, uh, management schedule. Well, why would you? What's, why would you do that? Because some, if you have a list, someone's going to be at the bottom of that list and that person votes. So
0: yeah.
2: you, you're gonna, well, you, why a, would you release a list? Because in a national, because this has
1: been the extraordinary year and we're in a, you know, we're, if we're at war with, there's, there's, there's different kinds of government. There's the kind of government, you know, business as usual. And then there's the World War II kind of government, you know, where, where the tax rates are 90%. And because <laughs> you're all in this together. And so if we're, we, it's like we said, this is like World War II. But we didn't bring our ma- our, our management right. practices up to that.
0: Well, and this is what I've said. It, if it's really a pandemic, mm-hmm. then then let's deal with it that way. Yeah. But either it, it, the impression that I get from the way that they're doing it is, nah, they're not really treating it like a pandemic. Right. It's not like World War II. This is Ali and Picero with James Ball. We're going to come back and move on. Maybe we'll talk about COVID or get into campaign finance or even PERS. What? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> we never talk about PERS. We always talk about purrs. <laughs> I wrote thousands of words about purrs.
2: The Portland spirit is headed to the river. Hop on board today for great views of the Portland skyline and historic Milwaukee waterfront. See our local landmarks and bridges from a unique vantage point on the river. Grab a cocktail on our outer deck while enjoying some of our delicious local cuisine. Fun for the whole family with options including lunch, brunch, dinner, and the famous Heart of Portland cruise. Tickets can be purchased at portlandspirit.com.
0: Welcome back to Allie and Pacero, with James Ball, our millennial friend. You are a millennial, right? I am. Okay, good. And we are boomers. Are you a boomer? Yes. Okay. Um, We're going to talk about something that's very important to boomers and should be important to millennials. We're going to talk about public employee retirement system oh yeah so i published uh, the second in a series of articles the third one is actually coming out tomorrow the first one was on the liability second one's on the assets third one's on the solutions Uh, to summarize this is a liability that we have to pay state workers um, a portion of their salary based on their time of service forever and when they die you pay their spouse forever and we've accrued this liability over the last sixty years. Uh, the current number is two hundred thirty-eight billion dollars of cash payments have to be made to these people over the next thirty years. That doesn't include hiring anybody new. Um, it goes up about uh, six billion dollars a year as you hire, and that's over that's over forty years, thirty years, thirty years, thirty okay. years. That's okay. the actuarial limit. The, the interesting thing is it's all kind of funny math because those people are still alive and you're still paying them. You just cut off the, the actuarials. Well, I, I think it's,
2: I think it's an average though. Some no. people, some people live longer, some people live shorter.
0: But, but you cut it off at 30 years for calculating the number. That's, okay. They arbitrarily cut it off at 30 years. Um, well, so you work until you're 55 and so that puts it to you at 85. I feel like that's yes. reasonable, but. The thing is is that they cut off the analysis at thirty years. You're still paying out five billion dollars a year and in the thirty first year you're going to pay out four billion dollars and three billion dollars and on 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 uh-huh but they it's just the way the math works. Now, the second thing is you are supposed to put money away to cover this liability, and we should have about eighty seven billion dollars put away if everything was copacetic to cover the legally cover the liability.
2: Right. Because and what that
0: means is if you put the eighty seven billion dollars in the bank and you were able to get seven point two percent interest, you could pay that liability over time for those thirty years. We have about sixty now we're moving to the assets. We have about sixty billion in the bank, not eighty seven. We also have five billion that is in the bank, but we borrowed it. The, the individual uh, cities, counties, uh, borrowed that money and gave it to the government. The government has that money invested. So that's the landscape of this thing. And nobody has really laid it out. They, they kind of sweep it under the rug. These series of articles are meant to sort of expose it so that we can have this kind of when discussion. When you
1: say that... Um- Five billion has been borrowed. Does that make the cash on hand then fifty-five billion instead of sixty? No, it makes it 65
0: okay, okay, billion. Okay, so sixty-five. But so, what it's what it's like is if you mortgaged your home, mm-hmm. took out a loan, and bought stocks with that money.
1: So you have eighty-seven billion liability, and you have sixty-five billion cash on hand.
0: So y- yes. Okay, so we have. But but this is the this is the part people talk about the eighty-seven billion and that implies that we're going to pay 87 billion. Mm. We're going to pay 238 billion. Okay, well now I'm okay, so we so it, it, you have to you have because to read, that, because you have to read the stuff and look so the, at the charts. But so
1: the 238 billion rather than the 87 billion means that our liabilities
0: are going to continue to no. grow. Why why the so, difference in numbers? So that? The, this is the 87 billion is an actuarial calculation. Mm -hmm. And you take the 238 billion paid out over all these years, 5 billion this year, 5.5 billion next year, 6 billion the following year on up, right? You take that and you discount it back to today at 7.2%. It's a, it's a mathematical way of trying to figure out how much money should I have today to cover this liability. Over the 87 billion. But it's all theoretical. Right. So the 87 billion is this theoretical number that's been calculated as a discount of the 238 billion. Nobody ever says anything about the 238. Right. But if you total all the checks that we have to write to these people over 30 years, that total is... Is two hundred and thirty-eight. Okay, billion. right, but we
2: but we don't have to come up with two hundred and thirty-eight billion dollars because we have sixty billion in the bank that's accruing interest. So right. there, like, we will never have to f- come up with that money from taxpayers. No, you come we'll up have,
0: with it every year. We'll have to come up with it over you absolutely, time. Absolutely, you yes, over yeah. time. Yeah, it is a two hundred and thirty-eight billion dollar burden on the taxpayers of Oregon. It's not an eighty-seven billion dollar burden. It's a two hundred and thirty-eight so, billion dollar burden. yes but but you've also got i mean
2: okay i'm sorry i okay so carry on (laughs) so so we have 65
1: billion in cash Mm -hmm. and we have a liability at 87 billion to 238 billion Mm -hmm. and so somewhere the deficit is right because if the 65 billion in cash will grow money right so so the 238 is what we need but the sixty-five billion is probably more like a hundred number, because it because it will accrue. Well, so no, we, it's it's eighty-seven. That the problem. No, eighty-seven oh. is the liability that we have now. But he's no,
0: saying it. He's oh, saying we're going to
1: put out two hundred thirty-eight. Right. You the, made
0: the argument that that sixty-five well, billion that we have cash on hand will grow. Here's so, here. the problem with the sixty-five. We keep stealing from it too. Okay. Right? Yeah. We okay. don't just well, let it sit there and accrue and grow. Okay. We we, we take we, from we take it. it. So well, so here's well, here's here's. Well, uh, <laughs> this is the point I was trying
2: to The point I was trying to make earlier that I I wasn't able to get through my head is if I say I'm going to need to retire eventually, I'm going to need a million dollars when I'm sixty years old, and I have fifty thousand dollars in the bank. That is very different than saying I need nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars when I retire and I have zero dollars in the bank. Like those are two very different things, even though the difference is the same. Me having fifty thousand dollars in the bank that can accrue interest over the next, you know, thirty years, um, is different than me not having anything and having to come up with all of that. Right. So, so I think, I, I think the the two thirty eight is, yes, we're going to have to pay that out, but we also have sixty billion dollars in the bank that is going to be accruing interest. There so, is
0: no, there is nothing in any other place. If you go and buy a house, yeah. They don't, they tell you your liability is going to be the cash payments that you make over that 30 years plus the interest. When you sign up, that's completely disclosed. Yep. They don't say you're taking out a $238,000 mortgage and, oh, by the way, if you have $80,000 $80, in the bank now, you're going to be okay. They, they tell you this is your cash payments over that amount of time and the thing that that drove me crazy because I did a bunch of research on this is I kept hearing eighty billion eighty billion eighty billion and then you finally look at the cash payments you finally find that chart and you go, oh eighty billion dollars five plus five plus six plus eight wait a minute I get to eighty billion after about ten years. Mm-hmm. I've got twenty more years of payments so- and they haven't disclosed that. I mean they they do it in a very obtuse way. It is disclosed, but people don't talk about it. And that's what I'm trying to get okay. people to understand. Okay, so what?
1: What? Oh. <laughs> what, <laughs> what?
0: What? What? I know, it's very complicated. This is uh, Ali and Pizarro with James Ball. We'll come back after a break. Today's
2: podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. 6349 or ProLiftDoors.com slash Portland.
1: Well, I had one more question for you okay. on the first thing. So, when are we considered underwater?
0: Or, or when do you th- – are, are we underwater now? Yes, by at least if, – if you use all actuarial calculations and you go through all the math mumbo-jumbo, uh-huh. we're about – 27 million underwater there's oh, yeah. 27 billion underwater and how, and we've
1: been underwater probably for 5 years
0: yeah it's more than that 10
1: yeah okay. so there's no real possibility of growing out of it
0: no and the problem is is that the hiring of state employees mm-hmm. state and government employees is outstripping it right and we're chronically underfunding it mm-hmm. and then you get in you can i this is all posted on my website and you can dig into it but the the assets the the cash money that we have mm-hmm. it's not all in cash right about half of it is in things that are like cash tradable securities bonds that kind of stuff the other half of it is invested in private equity funds venture capital funds reits yeah. real estate that is very illiquid yeah. you you can't you can't get out that money mm-hmm. so if if we get into a cash crunch You've got to sell off your bonds and stocks. This thing can flat spiral and and go in pretty fast. And I've just been trying to highlight this issue to educate people, to ask these questions, to better understand it. And again, I wish they would just play cards face up. Mm -hmm. It's very similar to COVID, right? Look, we're not a bunch of mushrooms and you keep shoveling poop on top of us. We're smart, knowledgeable people that deserve to know what is the liability that we have. So
1: if you were elected governor in November of 2022 and sworn in in January, what would be the plan?
0: So that's part two. That's part three that comes out. There's many, many things that you can do. The The fundamental thing that you have to do is all new employees have to move to a 401k right. type plan. Okay. And and the reason isn't therefore they're they're contributing instead of the state well the part of it is party. they're contributing but part of it is the contribution is absolutely defined now the right. cash goes into an account right. you can't fool around with it you can't borrow the money you have to put the cash in now and that means we can't get into this unfunded liability issue which we which we have in social security well, it, yes, and in, in Social Security, the difference is they print the money, right? Right, the state can't do that. We can't yes, do right. that. Yes. Now we're accountable. Now, now Pelosi, in these COVID bailouts, if you read carefully and understand what she's saying, all the code words, she's talking about bailout money for state pension right. plans. Yes, There's that's about, what they've
1: been arguing about for the last couple of weeks. Right, There's and about, they finally stripped stripped the the bailout money and the liability
0: thing out so the i think so yeah there's about a 1.5 trillion in unfunded liabilities Mm. across the united states Mm. mostly blue states right so it gets very political but actually you know it's it's not the worst trade in the world politically it's horrible Mm. but it's not the worst trade in the world to have the government the federal government print the money to allow the states to wash away this liability but the, the quid pro quo needs to be they move to a defined contribution plan, or else they're just going to get right back into it. it mm-hmm. You know, you yeah. you cut up the credit card and get another
1: one. Right. So so the other the other uh, question, and and this is a, a, a different subject, but it has to do with the pandemic and 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 sort of accounting. Um, you know, in March when we had uh, the PPP program, yeah, we. We just, you know, fire hose the thing and, <laughs> and so many companies, I I know CEOs five CEOs that got money and, you know, I know about three, I know five that got money out of those five, maybe two or three needed it and two or three didn't. And then I know about three or four that really needed it. Right. So, so you're, you know, I was with a, a CEO yesterday and they made a million dollars in profit, never were under, underwater. Right. And took a million dollars in PPP money and they're having their best year ever. So we made a lot of mistakes. It was really pretty ugly, but we fire hosed. But right. now 10 months later, we know we could target, we could actually do a program and get that money to the restaurant owners and, and the people that have been forced to be closed at right. their peak season because of the government. I, why don't
0: we, um, have uh why isn't there more um intelligence about this never waste a good crisis who said that yeah right and you're you're absolutely right i've said um it's easier to raise a million dollars than a hundred thousand yeah it's easier to raise a hundred million than a million yeah what we found out is it's easier to spend a trillion Mm. than a billion yeah because at a trillion you're right. It's like I I don't know what we need to do. We just need to turn on the money fire hose. It happened in 2009 yep. Yep. with the bailout. It happened again this time. It's going to happen again. We're going to spend a trillion dollars. Yeah, another trillion yep. dollars. Right, and it's all printed. I I don't. And the debt, I haven't debt to gotten into GDP is
1: going to go from 75 percent to 130. Well, I don't
0: know if some of it might be borrowed, but a bunch of it's printed. And when it's printed, it's just printed. It's just like free. Free right? stuff. Yeah. It's you're risking inflation. Right. But when everybody on the planet is printing money at the same right. time, you're just kind of all doing it, it together. Yeah. Well, when you, when you compare it against
2: a basket of currencies, you're not going to see inflation. But if you compare it against goods, goods and services, I think you will. And we I think we've already started to see that. Restaurants are more expensive because they have to yeah. stay open. Taco during...
0: Bell's more expensive.
2: <laughs> yeah. They, Chipotle's been raising their prices. <laughs> I mean, no, but, it is, but, um, like my my suppliers have started raising their prices on garage door parts. Yeah. Uh it's already happening. We are already seeing prices yeah. go up. Maybe not hyperinflation related, but um, well, my son's it's bicycle happening.
0: components mm-hmm. have gone up. Yeah, so it's it's absolutely happening. But what they're doing it, again is they're turning on the money fire right. hose and they're paying all their friends. Yeah, right. Yeah, all the constituent groups that you everybody's going to get a little sugar. Right. Santa's coming early. Everybody's going to get paid off. Democrats are going to get. And this is, this is classic former, the, the way things used to be is that the republicans wanted more money for defense and infrastructure and democrats wanted more money for social programs and all they do is sit down every year and they they back you and want forth. This, this and i is, want that we'll but just is, we'll just spend until
1: yeah and it's yeah. obviously when you fire hose it's scary but in this case with the restaurants and the bars and the and the people that are just forced to close i mean they need and deserve assistance and and the other part of this uh, equation that is interesting is that, you know, having spent 30 nights out of the last 60 in a hotel, yeah. you can't, and I was at the Hilton, I was at the uh, days in and then I was at the Hilton. You can't get room service. I mean, it's like, oh, right. there's no staff. Right. I mean, it's like I, the one, one day I was, I just went into the, um, into the, to the maid's room, into the closet and I said, and, and the manager was there and I said, do you mind if I just, do my own room. He's like, oh, please, you know. And we're gonna try to train all our guests. You know, go ahead. You have and, and access.
2: This, and this is the point we were talking about earlier. We we shut everything down because in March we thought that was the best thing to do. But now we have better intelligence. We could we could target this thing better. Look at congregate living. Look at people with underlying conditions. And if you do that properly, maybe we don't need to shut down the restaurants. Maybe healthy people can still go out to restaurants, and then maybe maybe a stimulus is not even needed. Well, if the, we had done this six months, one ago. well, things too—that's insane. Is We've like, got to
0: take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to pick this up. Well, I think it's segment number eight. Is this? <laughs> yeah, we're going to do. Do you want to do 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 nine? Do one, more. one more segment. Okay. Uh, this is Ali and Sarah with James Ball.
2: The Portland Spirit is headed to the river. Hop on board today for great views of the Portland skyline and historic Milwaukee waterfront. See our local landmarks and bridges from a unique vantage point on the river. Grab a cocktail on our outer deck while enjoying some of our delicious local cuisine. Fun for the whole family with options including lunch, brunch, dinner, and the famous Heart of Portland cruise. Tickets can be purchased at portlandspirit.com
0: Welcome back to Ali and Passero for our final segment. We've got James Ball here with us today. Uh, we wanted to wrap up with uh, Dr. Biden. And I'm not talking about joe biden i'm talking about dr jill biden who has a phd in education and uh jimmy is an ardent reader of the wall street journal <laughs> why don't you set this one up for us what well, happened
1: well joseph epstein was uh, uh he's an english professor he was the editor uh for years of phi beta, beta kappa uh, magazine which was called the american scholar and he was um Considered, um, I mean, was a teren- t- tremendous essayist, and so it was a quarterly publication. It came out, you know, it, it still is around, but it was a lot when he was editing. It was a live thing. It was a, it was a, it was a magazine, not just. My mother was the Phi Beta Kappa. I wasn't, uh, but <laughs> but it was it was a it was a very he was a tremendous essayist back when people really enjoyed that. And he was a kind of a comedian. He was sort of our generation's Mark Twain. So when was that? Uh, it, in his he, he edited that Phi Beta Kappa for over twenty years. So probably from 85 to 2005. And in that time, they ganged up on him because he was a big proponent of Western civilization. And Phi Beta Cap decided about 15 years ago, an American scholar, that they they needed to get rid of him even though he had this big following because he was too um, much a believer in Western Civ, the way they taught it at Reed College until a year ago. And so, um, you know, the classics, the great books. And so, the, you know, the, the Wall Street Journal picked him up and he's been a columnist for the Wall Street Journal. They're humor columnist really, and, you know, intellectual humor, you know, with a bite. And, uh, and so, um, he's done well. And, um, and, and so he writes a piece about, Uh, uh, Dr. Joe Biden uh, going around as a PhD in education. She's really a community college instructor. And now she gets her PhD and she's like, uh, you know, call me Dr. Biden. And of course, you know, my father always used to make fun of the of the doctors and uh, PhDs in education, with their smoking jackets and their pipes, and their bring me the New York Times, and so I grew up with these all these uh, <clears> impersonations <throat> of that, and uh, do, you know Joe Biden, and so he, so he wrote this piece saying basically, you know, come on, cut the crap, and, and lo- lose the doctor title, and oh oh, the world's greatest misogynist, and you know <laughs> yeah. you know oh, Michelle Obama, Barack, everybody weighs in, Hillary, he's the world's greatest uh, uh, you know misogynist, and and so. Uh, he is forced Northwestern University, where he's been a professor for thirty, forty years. You know, they're like, "Oh, we got to disassociate with
2: from you now." Well, so I'm I'm going to be the other side of this. I don't care what Jill Biden calls herself. She she earned a PhD. She wants to be called Doctor Biden. Fine. I think we as Republicans need to stop policing what other people call themselves, whether it's G or Doctor or you know, if you earned a PhD and you want to be called Doctor, it's go for it. Well,
1: and it I think w- that I think no. that having this the g- tone of the article was not like that though. It was more like that she what he was doing was just saying she's pompous. Well, well so what?
2: Let uh, <laughs> <wasn't laughs> her be did, pompous. It's, That's it's funny. funny.
0: I mean, he's not like it's not like what he what he says has to be false. I didn't I, I didn't take it that way. Mm-hmm. I took it. Especially, so it's very Im- important to me. My daughter is going through and getting her PhD in psychology right now, and she's six years into a seven-year program with two more years of postdoc, so a nine-year total program. Right. Yeah, and she is working her ass off, right, and dealing with COVID and teaching classes and doing all these things and and trying to do this. That when she's done, um, I'm going to be really, really pleased to refer to her as Dr. Ali, and 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 I I don't think we fully appreciate what you have to go through, and especially as a woman, that um, it was I, I thought it was it was in horrible taste. Um, yeah, if you put yourself out there in the public circle, I can see why something like this would happen. But I thought I th- I, what I pictured was some eighty year old guy writing this about Jill Biden. Well, that's exactly yeah. what it was. Right. And well, but it
2: was but it was funny and true. I think it makes us look petty. It makes oh. the Republican Party look well, petty if that's the
0: only for the thing. Republican Party.
2: I don't know. That's the way it's been taken. Well, no, I that's, mean, the been that, <laughs> well that's the way it's been
0: pinned. Well, that's the way it's been. But yeah, <laughs> but we no can't. Republican that I know of, other than Jim, <laughs> <who> has supported. <laughs> has supported. Oh come this. on, PhDs well, in education. Good. Well, grief. so uh, so when I was
2: an undergrad, the uh, president of my college university had an honorary doctorate, and he went by doctor. Yeah. So I. And, I, and was he pompous? I don't. I, I don't know that. <laughs> I can answer that. <laughs> I don't know that I ever actually met the guy in person, yeah. other than hearing him speak. But like, if you if you can call yourself doctor with an honorary doctorate, and I, she earned it. Let her call herself that. I I I think even bringing it up as as a topic of conversation makes makes him look petty. Makes it look like there are plenty of reasons to criticize well, the Biden. I, I think this is I this think, is let it well, go. This
1: is the this is the what what's wrong with the American intellectual life. Is that it's it the what somebody does when they write a, a thoughtful intellectual piece, sarcastic sardonic piece like this is they do it to be provocative, and it's that you know they're not writing it like they're not running for office and they need fifty percent of the vote. They're writing a provocative piece that maybe it's successful when it pisses eighty percent off and twenty percent agree. It's yeah. still part of the intellectual fabric of our life and if we come and go oh my oh it's in poor taste and blah 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 no it's not in poor taste it's just a provocative opinion and you can say well the guy's being an 80 year old crank and i don't agree with him but it's not like oh you need to be disassociated from the university and you know you can't come to the dinner parties anymore
0: no i i well he won't go to the dinner parties they won't invite him to the dinner parties but i think universities in particular when you are tenured, you can do stuff like this. Right. And you're not supposed to get kicked out. Right. 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 You're mm-hmm. um, supposed to be able to post these things. You're and supposed have to be these, able to post. Yeah. That's part of. And, yes. So we all agree. But the Wall Street Journal publishing this and oh. him saying it. So I've. So you don't. You've agree. written op eds. Yeah. Right. And, and I've written and, some bad ones. And there is some editorial. A collaboration that occurs, at least when I write them, right? Between me and the editorial I had, board. I had a right. I had my own magazine, which I created with my business partner Bridget
1: for twelve years. And in those twelve years, I wrote two or three pieces that I'm kind of ashamed of. No, you but, know, I, I wish and, I hadn't
0: done. But but the thing, the point that I'm making is there is a collaboration with the editorial board, right? And if I would have written that piece and taken it to the editorial boards that I work with, they would have said yeah
1: but, no but you're not but but he is considered one of the you know the you know one of the half dozen sort of you know mark twain's of 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 our time even A, even more so to say really? yeah oh. no oh, well i
0: yeah, think we're I would, probably going to have said,
1: to do yeah. another
2: show on this because we're never we're we apparently are not you you
1: are now the thought police
2: no, it's no, I, th- I like freedom of speech does not mean freedom from consequences. I think he had every right oh. to say that. I think the Wall Street Journal had every right to publish it. And they defended it. But I think it was too. in poor taste. And I think it was, they did. It was, they, uh, Apology Go defended him. Have and they, said,
0: have they backed down from that yet? No. Okay. Well, gentlemen, we're in the Christmas season. This is Christmas week, right? We it won't, really we is. won't meet till yeah. after Christmas.
1: Yeah. And, um, I guess, um, I guess I, I, we're going to power through and still have Christmas, right? Uh... Christmas is canceled. You're not sort, allowed to
0: have Christmas. Sort of Christmas. Yeah. It's quasi-Christmas. Do, do you have
1: different... Are, are there members in your family that are more COVID-centered COVID oh, yes. than others? Oh, yeah. Every family's going through this right now. Yeah, you, no. You, a year ago, it used to be, a camp, I've got Republican members, I've got Democratic members, and they'll fight at Thanksgiving. Now it's like, the the, the, the thing is, those who are
0: COVID-paranoid and those who aren't. No, there... And I... That's one of the reasons why I study it so carefully, there are people that they do think it's still like Ebola, yeah, yeah. right. Oh, yeah, and it's running rampant, and it's going to kill everyone. And it's the it's the not, media has been so irresponsible with well, this. That, it's that thing it's, that, it's that I read unreal. about Stephanopoulos this yeah. morning.
2: The fear mongering by the media has has made this pandemic and, way and worse again, than it. I, it.
0: Look, I don't want it to. It's a bad thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, it is a it is a bad thing, but I want it. Cards face up. And I want you to treat me like an adult. And I don't want you to treat me like a mushroom and shovel crap on my head, which is exactly what they're doing. Yes. Right? Yes, it is. And it's like, no, I'm a mighty Douglas fur. Let me stand. <laughs> and with that, we'll take a break and we'll be back next week. This is Ali and Passero with our friend James Ball.
2: Thanks for listening. This has been Ali and Passero with your hosts, Alan Alley and Jim Passero. The podcast is produced by James Ball. Be sure to follow us on Facebook. And if you'd like to contact the show, you can send an email to alan at com.